Hello, hello. Once again, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween 2015. This is Show V, the show of the map on the wall, the show of life, the show of Halloween, the show of horror movies. I think that I took some liberties this episode chatting with my friend Don. known Don a long time, and Don and I have a particular interest in Halloween and horror movies. So yeah, forgive me for a little bit if we're not talking about booze for a long time or for this whole hour, but if you want to geek out a little bit about film, hear a little bit about John Waters, hear a little bit about what it takes to graduate from UT, live in squalor, and then get great gigs ever after, then this might be an interview to check out. So without further ado, in the spirit of Halloween and horror and film, let's chat with my friend editor, filmmaker, Don Sueños. So I didn't know that Bruce Campbell was in it, for one. Right. So this is 88. I did a little bit of research mm-hmm. on it because he looks so goddamn young in yeah. it. And you've got Tom Atkins, which is my favorite dude with the mustache from Night oh, of the yeah. Creeps, Creep I Show. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, it's amazing. The Fog. Kind of like the guy that I would, if I was filming a movie mm-hmm. of my life mm-hmm. i would make him my dad okay yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he'd be good dad he's pretty he'd be pretty he's like the best dad i mean not so good in creep show you know right right but pretty good good dad. yeah yeah but i was thinking of bruce campbell and, and the reason i mentioned maniac cop is that mm-hmm. you got the ash versus the evil dead yes coming out mm-hmm. i think it's just a couple weeks now on halloween i think yeah exactly know. right but like for people who have stars which yeah is, i don't I mean, I'll record it for you if you want. I've been watching Blunt Talk, and I can't really get into (laughs) Blunt Talk that much. But, like, it's a great indication that the industry has shifted. Because Raimi was going to do, at some point, Evil Mm -hmm. Dead 4. But this served as a better outlet for him. Right. And and also, too, like, the fact that, you know, it was so hard. I think, like, I don't think he ever had, like, a great opportunity to make Evil Dead 4 as a movie. And now in 2015, you can make it as a TV show. Right. Which is so insane. It is. You you talked to me about that before, how that's a model that you make a movie, but then just make more of it via other episodes. <laughs> you you know? I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird. It feels like everything, because there's this interest in um, like properties, right? you know, like remaking or sequels or whatever. It's like if you make something and then you can make more of that thing. Mm-hmm. Royalties. It's, well, I don't know. I think it's maybe that just that people are unwilling to invest in the unknown. Yeah. So even if you say, hey, I made this movie, it's really good, and I want to make another movie about something else. Right. They're like, well, what's that? But if yeah, you go, I'm that? just going to take this thing I did, and I'm going to do more of it. Right. Now. Okay newer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's it's kind of peculiar. I was watching Beetlejuice last night, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling this conversation is going to traverse like wildly left and right, <laughs> which I think is, which is good, you know? But then, it, you know, they're remaking Beetlejuice. 
even yeah. then it wasn't that successful really right right and also it's so weird to me like remaking things when there's because like the thing about beetlejuice yeah. is like michael keaton is so good as beetlejuice that's beetlejuice yeah you know or we like can't remaking say, Nightmare can't on say Elm Street. one more time oh exactly right we're all, we'll be in trouble. we're all screwed yeah. <laughs> no but you're right that is one obviously tim burton is why it's that mm-hmm. way winona Ryder, but i think maybe she's signed up to do it again have I, you heard anything she said something about doing a sequel right i think but i don't mm-hmm. like a sequel would be cool that's different yeah but i mean i think the the remakes are so bizarre because it doesn't it loses what's appealing about the original sure. which is 1988 alec baldwin's right. not yet a drunk even yeah. though i love drunk <laughs> alec baldwin one of my favorites mm-hmm. you know gina davis looks great mm-hmm You've got Catherine O'Hara looks great. Yes. I mean, everything about it is so strange. Well, and it's also like Tim Burton's sort of like pure art design. Yeah. Back when he actually had an aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. He was doing it. Because it was only, what, his probably second or third movie? Because it's 88. You got Pee Wee's yeah. Big Adventure. So it was Frank and Weenie. Right? Yeah, because yeah. Frank and Weenie was like a short. Yeah. Right? So, yes, yeah, so it was really his first chance to do something. Maybe so. Because Batman was after this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, uh, 89, 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, I mean, it, and yeah, and without that style, why remake that movie? Right. If no you want to make a can... ghost comedy. A ghost, ghost dad it. was great. Now sure. ghost dad could use a <laughs> now remake. Now how does ghost dad hold up? Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we have they to. Ha- they have to erase the past now. I know. You know, they got to remake ghost dad with, let's say, <laughs> Ice Cube. Yes. Which would be a great leading that would be good. ghost dad, I think. It would be good. Yeah. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Do you think that you think that Ash and Evil Dead's going to work? Because Sam Raimi's got a heavy hand in it, which yeah. is the main reason that it works in the first I mean, place. Yeah, I hope it does. I want it to. Right. I mean, I watch it and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is reminding me yes. why I liked all those movies. He's so... It's hard, though, because, like, you know... Like this year, right? There was like a new Faith No More album, and like I loved right. Faith No More, right. and like there was a new Refused album, and I loved Refused. Right. And That's so a... it's like all these, you know, it's like with a new Faith No More album. How do I? I don't quite know how to engage with it as a piece of art because you're not the same either. Right. As when like uh, Angel right. Dust came out, or something, no, right? and I feel like they kind of made, they kind of picked up where they were. Yeah, but I'm like a in a way different place. Sure. So who knows if they put out ten an years album. ahead? They're just a year ahead of them, right? Like, and, roughly, and if they right. kept putting out albums, who knows how long? I probably still wouldn't be into them. Yeah. Now we probably would have grown apart. Probably. Anyway, but it's—is it still work for you? Is it the I nostalgia? It enough, but I think I mean I don't know how much of it is nostalgia, right? Not that I thought it was bad. It's not bad, but it also it's it's hard to separate nostalgia. So like seeing Bruce Campbell. Right. Grab a chainsaw is gonna make me happy. Sure, like pure forever. happiness. No matter what he, he in a car commercial, yeah, selling Kias off right, of one eighty three, right, right. still would make me happy. Right. I mean, even if they made you know six more Evil Dead movies, right? And had hacky people directing them, still might be great. Like at least that. Yeah. You know. Well, you bring up the Refuse record too, and I, I, when we so there's lots of bands like Gang of Four put out a new. This mm-hmm. is actually years ago now, but the Gang of Four put out a new record after having not put out one for a long time. You have the Zombies actually that I saw the other night, the, the classic band from one? the '60s. Yeah, they just put out oh, a new wow. record. It was actually pretty good. Okay, but then, but then refused. You know who mm-hmm. hit? It basically created an iconic post-punk record. God mm-hmm. forbid we use the title, but 
an amazing record in 98, mm-hmm. 97 or 98. Either way. Yeah, yeah. So now they release, release one this year <laughs> with a guy that has produced like Britney Spears or Kesha or something like that. So oh, really? real big, okay. big top 40 producer. And I go into it and I can't be that 17-year-old punky mm-hmm. kid that's so picky about my music, right? And so how did you've heard it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. What yeah, do you yeah. think? I liked it. It took a while though. At first, yeah. I didn't like it. Right, me either. But I, I feel like they're. I feel like if you look at the new Refused album and the new Faith No More album, mm-hmm. like Faith No More made a Faith No More album, right? Whereas I feel like Refused just kept doing whatever the hell they wanted, wanted. to do. Like I feel so you don't like think this it album seems like a Refused record. I think there's flourishes, and those are like the weak parts. Right, where it's like all right. of a sudden there's like a children's choir. Yeah, for no that's reason. And I'm weird. like, I feel like you're being weird. Or some just... horns. There's some horns on the that horns. Record. I actually like. I like it, but it's still very. It's jo- very weird. Very weird. Yeah. But like the some of the weird stuff I like, but it's the parts when it's not weird. That it's yeah. like, oh, you guys, this is just where you guys are now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like slightly we, ACDC. Yeah, we met back up, and now you guys are kind of more of a rock band, right? Totally than some a rock sort band. of electro punk. Not as fusion, not as pure, but I mean, I it's a it's a metaphor for the whole uh, growing old, and instead of just letting it die mm-hmm. and just leaving it there, like who would have thought Faith No More would have got back together? Right, right. I would have never thought in a, a million years. Well, and I think part of it too is just the music industry being what it is, and it's not like you can just start a new band and then people will give a shit by touring around, right? Again. It's almost like you have to harken back to the days where music made money mm-hmm. and go back to that with the people that are used to paying money yes. for music, we which basically, is so strange. Yeah. I mean, because I still buy music, but yeah. like you have to basically appeal to people my age. Right. Because you yeah, know how, to, you actually know how to how that transaction right, exactly. works. Yeah. Like money well, and I and would, music. I would enjoy the novelty of it for something old. Yeah. Because I did. I mean, I went and got the new Faith No More album the day it came out. Right. Just right. like I've gotten... Every Faith No More album since Angel Dust has yeah. come out, you know. And then you went and saw they were playing Awesome Music Hall, right? Yeah. How was yeah. that show? It was great. Yeah. But it was also hard to, you know, how much of this is this being great, and how much of this is just me finally seeing this. Yeah, band. it's true. The pick, like the Pixies, did that too. That's mm-hmm. another band comes to mind. They they came back in two thousand four or something like that and played Coachella mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, and it's just it's peculiar to see them. The Buzzcocks the too. The right, Buzz, right. Yeah, like I don't know how that works now. Well, and there's a lot of bands who are just sort of in these weird, um, right? Like there's like three different versions of Black Flag or something. Oh, right. Yeah. Each other and, and it's just like having a name and then that name you can book. It's it's kind of... Music festival gigs. And, do, do you think that... Because it is different now and it's not... When I was going through my musical exploration, when I kind of found out the stuff that I really liked... My parents, you know, my dad was never really as much of a music guy, but my mom, like, she could see mm-hmm. how it was changing. She kind of liked it and things. But I remember that she would hear things maybe that I would listen to, or probably more my brother would be like, oh, that's just that's garbage. And so we, we get to this point where, mm-hmm. in a sense, we're actually kind of affirmed that what we were into and the movies that came mm-hmm. from our childhood, the 80s, the music that came from them, they just wanted to replicate that because it was good shit. So you know, no matter how old we get and we say, oh, well, stuff's <laughs> getting worse, the industry is saying the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's funny. I, like It does sort of affirm vindicates our Vindicates like, in, right. in a way, you know? Like, yeah, damn right <laughs> we have good taste. with like what we liked. Right. Yeah, because 
Well, that's what's weird is you look at the music festival lineups and it's always, oh, yeah, I, was, I really like those guys in mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never like these huge bands that I've never heard of or no huge up and comers playing. It's always so and so reunion, right? Who's whatever. so who's that fun fun this year? Well, failure was last year, I think, right? Maybe or is it this year? But, but nonetheless, they got back together. That was one of the only real successful ones, I think. I that like, new record's really good. Yeah, I don't know that anything's happening with the Blood Brothers getting back together. I thought the Blood Brothers are got back together. They did, and they played a couple shows, but I don't. But know not if they not were. something big like fun fun. They played Fun 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 last oh, was, year. Oh, it was last yeah, year. Yeah. Okay. But um, I don't know that they're doing an album or anything. Yeah. That, they didn't play that's kind of like the right way to do it. Sort of. You know. You kind of get a paycheck. Yeah. You get right? a paycheck. I mean, basically. <laughs> uh, Murder City Devils. They didn't put out a new record, did they? But they reformed. I think so. Yeah. They played. Yeah. And they played a couple years. Like Hum played. They didn't put it's out It's almost like record. bands don't break up anymore. They just they just go on vacation. Yeah. Or permanent I mean, hiatus. Yeah. Well, because they always say hiatus. Right. And you always go, yeah, but you guys are breaking up. Yeah. At the drive-in. Mm-hmm. Hiatus all over that. But, I mean, who knows? Are they back yet? They did okay. get back. Yeah, and right. they didn't do a new record. I think they probably still couldn't handle each other. Right. Couldn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Stand each other is probably a better word for but it. But it's but... probably easier after a while. Like, you probably forget Why? the bad stuff. Right. You know, just like a relationship or something. Sure. Or it takes a while to get back. Right. Exactly. There is a honeymoon period. Like, wait a minute. That's why you were a dick. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're going to play Coachella and Fun 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 and something else. Right. We're going to be okay. (laughs) You know. It's like having the kid to mend the relationship. Totally. Yeah. Well, no, because it's like if we're going to, all we have to argue about is what set list to play. Yeah. Then we'll be okay. But if we actually have to write new material and record and, <laughs> and work on things, yeah, yeah. then like it's not going to work out. Got it. I even I never realized that just maybe at the drive-in is a metaphor for relationships. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, like uh, music festival lineups are. You just look and you're like, oh yeah. Just, it's like, oh, these guys have been together. They're just one of those loving couples. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, uh, dare I say, Matt and Kim? You know, almost right, literally right. that they just kind of keep playing and keep playing mm-hmm. shows. Like you got to. There's a couple bands that keep playing, like the Impossibles, you know, and they're from here. Yeah, but they keep playing, so you gotta like kind of admire that that they. You do. They, uh, they it's probably can't take... stand each other, but. And I, I also wonder too if, you know, because if I'd started a band when I was twenty, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be playing that. I wouldn't want to be making the same art I was making when I was twenty. No way, now. right? Well, yeah. So that that brings us into kind of a good point where. Where did you started doing film? But I actually want to cite a more specific <laughs> role that you had in the film industry, mm-hmm. and it's when I met you when we were both living in Katy, Texas, mm-hmm. late nineties, like ninety seven, ninety eight, and you're working at a Hollywood Video, mm-hmm. which is a, I think, crowning achievement, unironically, a crowning achievement in one's career in film, like Tarantino at the Video Shop. You know, right, that's where right. you get your feet wet. And I think he. I don't want to say I copied him, but I think like that's narrative was sort of out there. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So did when you I romanticize was, it? I don't think so. No. I because I think I was just like, of course, like that's where I want to work. Right. Like right. it wasn't as much like, oh, Quentin Tarantino did that. So yeah. If I do that. It was more like how badass would it be to like a video store <laughs> yeah. and get to like order the movies and rent movies for free all the time. Absolutely. And tell people about movies. Yeah. They've got to, well, they don't have to, but they're going to listen to you. When you also, too, I mean, the 
you know, and I, I kind of kind of hate it when people like romanticize the video store too much because I mm-hmm. think you can do as much on iTunes if you look. Oh, like sure. Look at the video store. Yeah, there's but, lots of stuff. But like in the suburbs, the video store was like where the movies would show up. Right. You all know, like all the you... indie movies. and Yeah, absolutely. The older movies. And, and then that's where people would actually like the hub of where people were actually talking about movies. Yeah, it was the Internet. I mean, God, it mm-hmm. sounds so old, but that was kind of the Internet. That's where right, you right. would talk and bitch. Mm-hmm. And suggest and love stuff. You totally. Know, totally. And so, do you have, I think you remember, man, it's always there's these like couple stories, but didn't you say you ordered a couple copies of something in that you know damn well no one would ever want to watch? I did when I was, uh, they at some point they changed, and I can say this, I guess, because Hollywood Video is out of oh, business. Oh, it's done, yeah. But um, they changed the policy so that anyone who was a manager could order stock uh-huh. for the store, like right. rental stock. <laughs> And um, I basically <laughs> decided our cult classic section wasn't big enough, so I like <laughs> the lost, aka the lost leader. Yeah, you know, right, exactly. And um, and so we like rearranged the shelves, and we ordered all this. At, like we didn't have pink flamingos, so I was like, we got to get like I've never <laughs> seen pink flamingos, and that's on you guys. Like we need a copy of pink flamingos, right? And it was like if it was under fifty bucks, and back then that was like ninety eight, yeah, seven. So. VHS. Stuff was expensive still, wasn't it? Some of them, but yeah. for the most part, you could really get stuff for like 20. Oh, that's good. You know, because that was kind of like the era of like sell through video and right, right. and Sam Goody. Oh, yeah, I forgot Sam about that. So, like, you could really get anything on the server for right. under 50 bucks. That's great then. You so, know, and, so did that that help you discover some of that stuff early on? Um, it Pixel did. Mingo's I mean, is kind of, if you see it pre 15 years old, I think it's gonna. It it's probably gonna meant, yeah, that would probably warp you. Traumatize you a little I bit. I didn't see that until later. Yeah, I remember because they reissued it when mm-hmm. I was in high school. Um, and I remember there was like an afternoon, like it played in theaters. It did. It's like a re. Oh, it was like oh, a remastered. Oh, yeah, it was okay. like it played at like the River Oaks in Houston, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. art houses. Sure. You know? And there was like an afternoon where, having never seen it, mm-hmm. like my mom and I thought about going. You wanted and because it, it was like oh it's this movie it? I don't think so but oh, it was like wow. oh it's this movie from like the sixties that everybody thought was crazy in the sixties yeah and it just so, so it'll be fine you know so like cr- like it was mild for like somehow right, right like somehow you just sort of say like well whatever shocked him in the sixties yeah that would shock us now yeah and you went and saw it no we didn't okay. we did not and that's the happy ending on that story. yeah because it is still shocking it is it's, i can hardly watch it actually. yeah it's not a super pleasant movie to not watch really. there's some really funny stuff in it yeah um but yeah but john, john waters makes really pleasant films even if they're mm-hmm. awkward and perverted yeah he's made some of the most fun loving and perverse films but but always this they're always it's that's always coupled they are fun-loving right. and perverse. It's never either or. Right. Besides maybe polyester or or uh, the one with Ricky, the big dance one that they remade. Hairspray. Hairspray. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Hairspray's got a lot of like racial. There's a lot. Yeah, that's true. In it. And like polyester is like a really, which I love. Yeah. Even though it's sort of his, like his first mainstream movie. Very mainstream. First, like, R-rated. Yeah. But it's very uh, dark. And, like, yeah, mean. true. Mean-spirited. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tab Hunter. Is that right? Is that the guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember it, man. This weird tangent, but they put. <laughs> God, this is like hearsay because it's it's me recanting a story <laughs> that John Waters has about it to you. But he remember I he was saying that when they released polyester, that they would they released it in Smellovision. Right. Odorama. Odorama. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And. <laughs> apparently it was like that for a little while and then at some point maybe he attended a screening or they shipped back all the the papers that, mm-hmm. that had all the odors on them and it's like oh these are unused or, or rather like just recycle them if you want them john waters and he said that like always the fart smell was scraped all the way off <laughs> on every one of them so that's the thing for some reason that's what everybody wanted to smell like all the time right I just think that's funny i have one and i've never oh, smelled really? it i came with the I have one that came with like the DVD. Oh wow! And then I had him sign it when I met him. How was that? Being um, it was it was super awkward. It was, was like it, I didn't was know it what like, to say. And was it like him sitting at a table and you had to? No, it wasn't like a book signing. It, he came and he did a uh, like a his thing, his yeah. show, like a stand up. A couple of years ago, yeah, right. But he did it in a movie theater, which in uh, Austin, yeah. Where he did he it get? like the Metropolitan. Is that the name of it? The one way down south. The one uh, right off Stasny? Yeah. John Waters did it there? Yeah. And it was super weird because it was like really, really poorly attended. Oh, wow. But that same night, like the draft house was screening Crybaby with uh-huh. Tracy Lords and that was sold out. Of, well, it was like very. Well, yeah. It must have been a PR thing, though. It must have been. Because there's no way John Waters wouldn't sell out draft No, because I mean, you know, he just, he was at Fun 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 last year. Yeah. He played to a ton of people. That's killer. But um, yeah, but then after that, they had like a reception. Mm hmm at this uh that weird i don't know if it was le bear at the time but the oh, the one on riverside downtown yeah yeah the oh gosh it used to be a steamboat was that yes what the, yes but i think it was after it was steamboat and after it was the comedy club and there was like a drag show and they had like a divine impersonator oh wow yeah and he was sitting yeah. there watching the show and i like went over and was like hi oh man yeah. So how was he? He was he cool or he was super just, nice. He yeah. was super nice. But it's just hard to. But it's just really into, odd talking to. How do you fan? How do you transition into fandom? Right. You know what I mean? Like when someone's just kind of hanging out. I've yeah. Been, it's been hard for me to do that. I, I had some friends who went to his house. Had a meeting with him at his house. Where is he living? Couple. Baltimore. Baltimore. Oh, he still lives in Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, cool. And I think he has other houses. But yeah. And they sent me a picture from inside his house. That's. And I just wrote back. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm not, I'm not gonna pretend. I'm not gonna pretend that I don't envy you being a John exactly. Waters. House. <laughs> yeah, I heard he hitchhiked across the. the yeah, state and I have that book. I haven't read it. Yet, it seems though. like such an interesting story. But he, you know, going back to what is probably, I feel at the genesis or the nexus of where you got your tastes for films and mm-hmm. things. Like I think John Waters sits right in the middle for me too. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's skillful. It's perverted, but still there's some very, very, there's some love there. But but I also remember him before I knew uh, like specifically his movies, mm-hmm. I knew of him really? as a guy who was always interviewed about other movies. Oh, interesting. Like okay. when I would see something like about... Like the Leonard Maltin of the perverse movies kind of? Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like whenever I would see like a special and hear about like Ed Wood or William Castle or whatever, right, right. like John Waters would be a talking head. Yeah. Telling me about him. That's so strange. But you he, know, but, and so I've just always sort of associated him with. Did you think he was like a film critic? Instead no, of I mean, director? I think I knew he was a movie maker. I just yeah. didn't know any of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's good. He still really, really love Waters. But yeah. so that that Hollywood video, which I think was a pivotal. 
mm-hmm. place. I remember, actually, remember there was the video store right across the street. Latest and greatest. That's where I I have so many videos from Latest and Greatest. They're going they, out of business. Yeah, sale. me too. Yeah, they had a bunch of stuff. Clockwork Orange, I got there. Deranged. Well, the cool thing, latest thing, because Hollywood Video had that weird policy where they wouldn't have anything that wasn't um, rated. Oh, so no unrated so stuff. So no unrated stuff. Oh, and there okay. were like a few that snuck in, like we had Evil Dead, but we didn't have Evil Dead 2. Oh, you know, wow. Like, and then no we had, Maniac like, Cop, which is unrated. Right. But we'd had like the R-rated cuts of it. Like we had the R-rated cut of The Killer. Oh. Like the John Woo movie. Yeah, the John Woo one. So there were all these movies I saw and I'd like watch them and I'm like, ah. They're just not as good, right? You know, well, yeah. they just cut them. Just, they don't care. Yeah. Because they're made for that one video chain. It's terrible. So I would all so I would even when I worked at Hollywood Video and I could mm. rent stuff for free, I would still go to Latest and Greatest because they have so much stuff. Because there. they had a huge horror collection. Yeah, for, I meet the Feebles. Yeah. I got that right. was expensive VHS at the time, and they was, had it right. And that it's an insanely morbid movie. It's fun, but which it's, I don't think I've ever actually seen all of. It's really hard to watch. Something yeah. about puppets doing it. Like, yeah, it's hard for me to. I mean, I started watching it. I remember just going like, "Ah, this isn't for me." <laughs> it's to think that. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, the Academy Award uh-huh. winning director of Lord uh-huh. of the Rings made a movie about puppets fucking. Like, yeah. that is a massive journey in filmmaking. Like, everything except Heaven's Creatures when his sort of early filmography yeah. is just, you know, so it's shocking so different. to see where he is now. Dead Alive. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the Frighteners is great, skillful. You can kind of see it. For I really me. like the Frighteners. It's a really good horror movie. Yeah. Is there any anything another tangent? Halloween's coming up. Is there yeah. anything you've put on your list to make sure to watch before to watch? I don't know. I've, I've I don't know. This year I haven't been that good about it. I've been um, no. It's been busy. Yeah. Normally I try to watch a ton of Halloween stuff. Though. Yeah, it's in um, the mood. Seasons changing. You know. Yeah. I Suspiria. Yeah. For some reason the vibe of that movie, even mm-hmm. though it's not particularly Halloweeny, it still feels. I just cold. I feel. I, I agree. Associate it. You yeah. know. Um, That's how I feel about the fog. I could see that. The yeah. fog, like almost just that shift in the weather mm-hmm. and those long pans of the, I guess, to the California coastline and stuff. Right. Really beautiful. It just makes me think of fall. And yeah. 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 It's good. I bought the complete series of Tales from the Crypt. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I figured that would be a great addition for holiday yes. stuff. You know. I bought. I, I think I have one of those. Yeah. That I've slowly watched my so way good. through. So good. So fun great it's again a vestige of what was a different kind of era of filmmaking when the cool thing TV. about Tales from the crypt is it was like you know because it was on hbo yeah. but it was sort of like it would be on late but sure. then i remember randomly some nights because mm-hmm. i'd look through the tv guide to see what was going to be on hbo because yeah. that was the only channel we had that was had movies mm-hmm. and so i'd like flip through the guide to, so i could program the vcr to record god analog man whatever was going to be on right and we'd be like oh there's three episodes of tales from the crypt yeah. wednesday night at 2 30 for some reason so i'm gonna record them yeah. and then because they're older episodes maybe, yeah yeah you know um but so, yeah because you you know it's good they're something really shrewd about them mm-hmm. in that they really develop a pretty calculated and yet mature arc in 30 minutes to 60 minutes you know there, there's also like a having fun sure you yeah. know i mean it's kind of like bringing doesn't take it too too doesn't take itself too seriously 
No. You know, Tom Hanks doing it. Right. I, I just saw that Daniel Craig did an old episode from like 96. Really? Yeah. He's on the back of season six. I'm like, that's <laughs> fucking James Bond. He was in Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> you know? Well, like there's an episode that Arnold Schwarzenegger directed. Yeah. Right. It's insane. So Sam Kinison's in an episode. Right. Yeah. You know, before he passed. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it captures the pop culture pretty, pretty well. It does, but without more. like sort of pandering to it. It's yeah. not like watching Beverly Hills 902. No, no, or, or something. Melrose Place. Or... It's just sort of like because of the people who are in it. Yeah, it just reflects how capsule. they were. Yeah, But other than that, it's kind of timeless. It really is. Because well, it feels like comic books. Comic books are timeless. It does have a great 90s feel, though. It sure And does, I think they yeah. were trying to avoid it, mm-hmm. but it just feels... You can't, you can't get away from it. Very... Yeah, John Stamos being in it. I mean, there you go. Mm -hmm. Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. God, all the great. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Okay. You know, being in the Scarecrow episode. That was a great great episode. Or was it the the Lumberjack one? At any rate, it's it's a lot of cool stuff. I I, I just encourage people to go back and check it out if you haven't. It might seem cheesy, but it's still like so honest. It is. I mean, it's it's a weird tonally, though. It's super weird. I do wonder how they pitch that that it's like it's going to be gory but it's going to have famous people on it every week Mm -hmm. i mean i guess it's not that different from american horror story that's a great point yeah have you watched it at all i've watched the first two seasons yeah the freak show's on actually three i haven't watched coven yet either coven's great yeah i'm really surprised it's totally a really interesting show it is very strange uh, like it's it gets real dark yeah but then it also is kind of tongue-in-cheek it totally is i mean the fact that season four and, and they they claim it they they mention it that it's a remake of freaks right you know i mean it it is exactly if you mm-hmm. if you look at the freaks god and it feels like so inappropriate right but if you look at the freaks of the show they match yes. the original freaks in some mm-hmm. some form or another and then there's a a complete homage to Halloween with a little kid with a mask and a knife going oh, into nice. the, the same point POV and everything. So, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's been the first effective foray into a horror chronicle horror kind yeah. of show. It's been the only one that's been effective. Well, it's interesting too, to do anthologies. There is a weird thing. Cause there's this, you know, people say that attention spans are getting shorter. Sure. Because of, you know, vines or <laughs> because or whatever of, because of vines <laughs> or something like YouTube yeah, videos yeah. or like it's, but the reality is American horror stories, basically just episodes of tales from the crypt. But instead of being 22 <laughs> minutes long, it's they're 47 like 12, or 12 hours or whatever. Oh, oh you know, total. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in, you know, like instead of it being a season of tales from the crypt, that's like, Oh, this one's about the haunted house. Mm-hmm. This one's about the mental asylum. It's like, no, 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 we're going to do, we're going to delve into yeah. that and go really deep. So it's weird. It's like people are getting deeper with the uh Yeah, it's true. The culture they're taking in. It's it's it goes all over the place too. I think it pans people, which I like, you know, some mm-hmm. people that like this season don't like another season. The season now, the hotel one, is a little little interesting. Feels like it's actually supposed to be occurring in the eighties, but it's right. modern day and then there's like a Howard Hughes guy and then there's a I guess they're Lady all Gaga. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's always they, they tie it together pretty well, you know. So going back though to the journey because we talk about film a whole lot and mm-hmm. I think the main reason that we talk about film is not only because you're interested in it or mm-hmm. that you find it fun and exciting and is that you do it. Mm-hmm. So you went to from the lovely Katy, Texas, you <laughs> went to the RTF program at UT, right? Right. 
Was this like 2000, 2001? So it would have been like 98 through like oh, okay. 2002. Okay. Oh, yeah, because we graduated. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And how, how was that experience? Did you learn a lot at UT? Um, I did. I think mainly I learned because I went into the, uh, it was like a campus TV station. Mm-hmm. Is that the one like McConaughey worked for at one point? I think, he, yeah, he did some stuff for them. Yeah. Wes Anderson. Oh, cool. You know, rented a camera from them at one point. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, I think uh, you John know. Houston used the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so that was actually more of a hands-on thing and. That was where I kind of got more experience than I did in class. Yeah. Well, because uh, that's what, I mean, you, we, I think we both agree the real value is doing it, not sitting and learning about it. Right. And I actually feel like where I am now, some of the things I was being taught in film school are actually more valuable to me. Oh, really? Like, like uh, what's a nugget now? I don't know. I think it's just a lot of, um, just a lot of the approach to narrative and character. And, and at the time, when you hear that and you're just a kid and you want to make a movie. Right. It just makes it all seem so overwhelming. Sure. Why are you throwing obstacles at me? I just want to well, go yeah, do it's like, this. I just want to do it. Yeah. And then once you do it, you can go, well, why isn't this working? And somebody <laughs> can go, oh, it's because we don't know what this guy's doing or what he wants. Right. Oh, okay. What's his motivation? Like, who right. is this guy? What's the conflict? You yeah. know, and, and so it's sort of like you have to kind of do it and fail to then be open to hearing. That's an interesting. Those things were yeah. before. It's really just abstract. Before sure. That. And film is you... one of the few arts where it. It is that way because it's so hard to make a movie. Like it requires so much work and time and like money logistically and people to right. just make even like a short film. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it were a painting class, it could oh. be like, all right, everybody paint. Yeah. And then we're gonna minutes. talk about painting theory or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's not a lot of cross functional tasks, if you will, that have to occur. Right. There's not edit you can't edit a painting. Right. There's just no way. Right. And you get to kind of like immediately I'm not discounting the art of painting, but right. you can spend an hour, you can spend 20 minutes, your call. Well, like if, if you're going to major in, in fine arts mm-hmm. and focus on painting, you will have painted yes. before graduating from high school. And yeah, well, yeah. To that's a great point. But, you know, but you, you might not have made a movie before you decided to go to film school. Yeah, that's a so, great point. Yeah, I mean, so I think the stuff you learn is good, but I also think it's hard to sort of take it all in. Right, until you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the first project that you worked on, either um, as an editor or a writer? I mean, so there's a bunch of stuff we did in school. Mm-hmm. Like there was a movie review show that I did for a year. Um, and then, you know, like a couple of movie projects. I didn't do like a student film. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the really? major, having to do a student film? No. I mean, you could. You could take different paths. Yeah. And I didn't really end up on the production path. Gotcha. I'm not sure why. Um, but I took some editing classes and I edited at the TV station and then kind of focused on mm-hmm. that when I got to school. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so then getting out of school, it was just like taking freelance jobs. Yeah. Editing. Just doing like whatever you knew to kind of how to do, right? Yeah. Writing. And I know. It wasn't. Well, I mean, yeah, I'd, you know, there's not a lot of writing jobs, but like I would I would shoot stuff still. And yeah. Whatever. Because it's like I'm out of school and I'll yeah. do anything for a hundred dollars, you know, and. <laughs> How is that market, by the way, for prospective student filmmakers? How is it once um, they get out? Well, the problem is, I think, as an adult sometimes, because there's, like, in U, you know, UT is turning mm. out so many kids. Oh, sure. Who are just like, well, it's a, 50 it's bucks. a machine. I'll edit your movie. Right. You know, and get $50 worth of editing. Right. Which it doesn't help them. No. But they also don't know it doesn't help them. Right. And then it doesn't help anybody else because it drives down the prices. 
Yeah, that's a weird. It's a weird kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very unique to that industry. It feels like a little bit. It's probably any kind of industry that combines arts. Yeah, I mean, I bet it happens in like graphic design. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you're right too. Um, Mu- yeah, music's bound to happen as well. Yeah, yeah studios yeah. driving down costs mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, yeah, and so just taking jobs and then getting into working on a project with other people. Yeah, and editing other people's movies. Just doing it you all, know. getting your feet wet with all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and focusing on editing though as things went on. Yeah, like I don't like being on set. I find it stressful. It's just a lot of tension, a lot of people moving around, or um, yeah, and not even on like a production set, even just like shooting a concert or something. Oh, really? It's like because uh, you, you have to do it right now because you're here, right? Right. If you this screw it up, now. we yeah. need this now. So like, I don't like you know. You want uh, you want to work with your own kind of time constraints and be able to have your f- freedom like yeah i mean it's just so much more chill yeah when you kind of have everything in front of you the, the other problem though is that you can do everything forever sure whereas when you're on set like we're shooting for an hour yeah like that's it we're shooting because this is going to happen you mm-hmm. know we're shooting right, this right. much today and then it's over whereas you can edit a movie and then it doesn't work so right you're editing it for months and months and months and trying to make it work mm-hmm so you obviously then as it surfaced editing mm-hmm. became more of your mm-hmm. your thing but you were what was so you had it you know I, i've been following your career mm-hmm. because that's just it's been really really a cool thing to watch like how you started out just piecemealing stuff together you know mm-hmm. like you were well, i'm gonna edit here i'm gonna be on set here i'm mm-hmm. gonna film this other stuff and ultimately what do you feel was that first moment that you felt that maybe it was working this decision to be in the film industry kind of made it all worthwhile i don't know i don't think it was for a long time yeah that's what that's what i f- thought is and i sort of wonder why i kept going you know i mean like in <laughs> all just honesty, like unwilling to yeah to stop or maybe or I, did you just love it enough to i think i was like determined to make it happen i think i was also a little delusional that it was like well if i just keep going something yeah. will happen and um you know i made a movie one of the first things that i had a big hand in was this documentary called Year of Danger. Mm-hmm. My friend Steve Metz got... I, I shot a documentary with him, mm-hmm. one of the last things I ever shot, called Uber Goober about role-playing games. Okay. And then he ended up... He was in the, he was a lecturer at UT, mm-hmm. but he was also in the National Guard. Oh, wow. U.S. went to war. He got deployed. So I kind of helped on the edit of that, but then he would... Uh, send me tapes of stuff he'd shoot while he was in Iraq. Wow. And so we kind of cut that into a doc. Yeah. And so that was like one of the first things that was like sort of artistically satisfying. When was this? 2007. 2007, okay. So you must have been like late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you're like 30, 27. turning 35 next week. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so that, um, that, that what was called? Uh, year at Danger. Year at Danger. Because the base okay. he was at was called Danger. Oh. Which is funny. Even though it is probably also dangerous being Right. It's an odd name. Double so. Chandra. Perhaps. People. Yeah. Interesting. Um, How was it received? Pretty well. Yeah. But, you know, it was also sort of a big wake up call for me in terms of uh, how things work. Right. That you make a movie and you're like, this is great. Right. We did something so great. I care so much about this yeah, thing. This is the best thing. Right. And then you realize the rest of the world doesn't. They don't. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, we, got, you know, I think people like it and I've watched it recently and I still really like it. Mm hmm. And I'm pretty critical on my own yeah, I'm sure. stuff. So I, I think it's good, but I also think we didn't really know. There is 
once you make a movie mm-hmm. and the movie's finished, there's still so much more to do. Oh, all the press. Just like in music or anything. Sure, like yeah. Applying to festivals and then if you know anyone at festivals. Right. And then once you're at a festival, promoting it at the festival. Yeah, I never are And trying to get reviews and then taking those reviews and having a sales agent who's yeah. going to get you a distributor. It's a lot of steps. It is. Does that... Uh... All of those steps, does it make you not want to do certain parts of the, the filmmaking process? Because uh, it mean, seems yeah. like editing is a little bit removed in that sense. Like once you turn it in, you don't have to really press and promote the film. No, right? it, sh- it should be. The problem is in a lot of independent films, there isn't that. Like that oh. isn't in place. Uh, I not. I mean, the PR and stuff is kind of different. Right. But, but just the amount of stuff preparing... For screening at a festival, right, right, and then if someone wants to buy it, preparing the elements so that they can, you know, re-record the dialogue mm-hmm. for a five point one release, yeah, in Taiwan or something. right. It's just you like know. actually the technical things that have to be right, kind of updated. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of work, and but it's also I think really important to have that moment yeah. of, you know, you're not going to be all those 90s indie filmmakers. Right. Not Kevin, be Smith. Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino or whatever. Soderbergh. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not like you're going to make one movie and then you're going to get a huge paycheck. Right. Or even before that, like, you know, George Romero or sure. Sam Raimi. Well, guys, George Romero certainly didn't make money off of. No. And he's still independent. Deal, but, and like, yeah. but, but Raimi I think it took the, forever. At the time, like, you know, and this is also before the internet, but like as a kid, mm-hmm. it's like, well, Toby Hooper did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and right. then Steven Spielberg let him do Poltergeist. Yeah. And you don't realize it's like, yeah, but in between that, he made like uh, Madhouse, right? Uh, Eat mm-hmm. Alive, yeah. right? Like all these kind of right. sub parts. They're fun, but it's yeah. like not as good as. But he, he wasn't getting huge paychecks on the right. movies. I can't imagine. But I guess we so. romanticize that as well, right? Like we right, failed totally. to really look that it's. You don't just have that one at bat and you knock it out of the park. Right. You have to sit there and, and have game after game and kind of perform. Right. And have the next thing planned. Yeah. And, but that's even if you're lucky enough to be to able get to do the break. next thing. Yeah. You yeah. know? So it's, um, so it's, I think it's a healthy amount of cynicism. Sure. Is nice. Well, it's also called a defense mechanism, right? Because you, yeah. you don't want to go crying to bed every night and right. say, like, why the hell have I done this? Why Set your expectations it? appropriately. Yeah. And things will be a lot easier. I think that's a good, uh, <laughs> although it is counterintuitive to what is some know as the American dream. Right, right. It is good to temper your expectations. Well, I mean, you know, I think you can still pursue things, mm-hmm. but I think. Because part of it, for a lot of people, I think is kind of laziness in a way. Oh, sure. That you're going to do this one thing. Right. Because it happens a lot when I talk to first-time filmmakers. And I'm not talking about anyone in particular here. Right, sure. But um, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. No, but like somebody who's made their first movie and you can tell that they think it's going to, to be the, you yeah. know, and they're like, we made our first movie and we're trying to get the edit done in time for Sundance. And it's like, well, I saw it and it's not going to, it's not going to $30,000 movies that don't have movie stars and them don't play Sundance. So right. it's great that you're trying for that. Yeah. But you also have to realize that maybe you're just going to play a bunch of small festivals, mm-hmm. make some contacts and then write another into, movie. And then maybe that raise one. money for that. Yeah. And then maybe that one will do something. So it's, 
Yeah, it's not so much giving up on your dreams. It's just like realizing that sometimes they're dreams. Right. And you have to just be persistent. You know, as George Carlin says, you have to believe the, the reason it's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it, <laughs> which is an amazing way to think about it. Uh-huh. Again, somewhat cynical, but but to your point, you just you could have quit at any time. Right. Even maybe the signs were on the wall, right? I that, did. Like, you and should. But there were actually a few points where I thought about it, but I didn't know what else I would do. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I was like, I don't even know how to get a regular job. Job. Like, yeah. I don't know how to apply my resume of working on people's movies. Right. And weird little projects here and there. Yeah. Into something that I could go give like an accounting firm to apply to be there. <laughs> Do like, you guys need blood on those yeah. sheets? Because I can make blood happen. <laughs> accounting firm. So what was the? I think that because your first feature mm-hmm. was before Pit Stop. It was, or was it after that happened? It was. Um, it, I shot it before Pit Stop. Okay, but it was released after. It took you a um, while. It was right. It would have. I think it came out right. It came out, it, we like, yeah, it's, so it was released before Pit Stop. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so that was yeah. the, it's, a, it's funny because you have, we'll talk, like you talk about these smaller filmmakers, the first time filmmakers, they've got $30,000 and they make this movie and they think it's really wonderful. And odds are they probably didn't spend all that much time getting their feet wet in the other areas of mm-hmm. filmmaking. Whereas before you did your feature, you'd already delved into a lot of those other areas. So it's like you probably already had made many of the mistakes that first time filmmakers do. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about being an editor is that you're editing other people's movies. So you're mm-hmm. seeing all the mistakes they've made. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so trade secrets in a sense, right? Knowing what of. not to do. And it's not even like a, it's not stuff that's obvious. Yeah. Right, because it's not like any of these people are idiots. Sure, or anything. of course It's not. just like, oh, why isn't this working? Mm-hmm. We showed this happen. Why don't people understand that this happened? Right, right. And it's even something like, oh, well, maybe we need to have them say this. Yeah. And it does. So working as an editor, I think, has informed me. Yeah. Has helped me become a director. Which is good. And a writer, but it's also made it hard because I tend to overthink right. when I'm writing. But that might have been the edit. case anyway. It might have been. Yeah. You know, I think that the, any talented person, obviously they're going to second guess this or that, and it's hard right. to just go with it. But so kind of talk about, I saw pictures of superheroes. It played Awesome Film Festival. Right. That was, was just a, premiere. such a wonderful thing to, to see happen for you, you know, because mm-hmm. we both know people that do these things, people that play shows, people that put out records. But I don't have a lot of friends, although many of them are in film, that had a world pr- premiere at the Austin Film Festival. That's a really no, amazing cool. thing. Yeah. You know? How was that, that feel to, to reach that? Did you ever imagine, you know, 10 years prior that that was something that was going to ever happen? Well, I think that's kind of the problem with working in the arts is you set mm-hmm. these goals so high <laughs> that when the actual, like, achievable, great, awesome thing happens yeah. to you, you're like, well, I thought it was going to premiere like. And <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and so yeah. it's like, no, dummy, this is good. That's a great. This is thing. a really good thing. Yeah. And then we played a bunch of other festivals, which were great because it's like they, oh, I don't even live there, right? You right. know, how did it? How did it go there? How did someone hear about it? Like you, uh, right. it was in in Europe. You played like was it like a German we film played, festival or something um, like that? We played Australia uh, twice. 
which is strange. Which is really that's cool. really far away. Um, yeah, but the the guy who programmed that festival is a guy named Jack Sargent, who mm. wrote a bunch of books on like the cinema of transgression and oh, like, cool. Nick Zed and Richard uh, Kerr okay, and okay. Uh, John Moritzugo and all those guys who I like were a huge influence on that movie. Mm-hmm. So getting into that festival was like, oh, cool, good. Makes that sense. That movie did sense. what I needed it to. Yeah. Like that, that made that movie a success in yeah. my eyes. Yeah, for sure. Because it resonated with the people that it was supposed to resonate with. It resonated with. with like the one guy. Yeah. I was like, if this guy doesn't get it, I messed up. <laughs> and I, it'd be funny too, ironically, like he doesn't get it, but then everybody else yeah, gets exactly. it. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Because maybe that's one of those things that when you approach it, you should flip it next right, time. Right. You know, like, well, maybe I'll... I'll make sure he doesn't like it, and then all the other millions of people will like it. Right, exactly. But how was it received, ultimately? Did you feel like you got your point across? I think so. I mean, I wanted to make something weird, because, I mean, I you know, I, and I know I just kind of made fun of people for making $30,000 movies, and that was probably like a $10,000 movie, mm-hmm. but um, I wanted to... I was like, it was one of those things where I was thinking of giving up, and so I wanted to make something. I was like, I at least need to make something. Right. Before and, before you hang your hat up, right, and make it the way I want to make it. You wouldn't forgive yourself if you didn't. No, of course not. Yeah, and and it was literally like I'm gonna make this the way I want to. Yeah, like I'm not gonna listen to what other people have to say, which is a horrible thing it's, to do when you make a movie. It's very very you. I mean, it strikes. With it is your and, personality, and, and I sort of wonder if it's like too much me. You know, maybe for for the average person, I don't know. It's sort of a psyche dump for. I, I thought it's minutes, brilliant. But, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's I think it's fucking hilarious. I mean, <laughs> you have a great cast, and it was it didn't yeah. feel too Austin-y either, which sometimes no, is a problem I didn't want it to be. I mean, it's not really hyper local, and then it's not just, set in Austin. Yeah, it's really not, uh, even though it was shot. Sure, I mean, it's in. Austin, I mean, I recognize but, yeah. some of those spots. Um, but you know, it was literally a movie that was like I can shoot this in my house. Yeah, and yeah. I know people. I was really fortunate to have like really amazingly funny people. Yeah, Kess willing is great. to be in it. Yeah, um, John Merriman is that right? Yeah, yeah, John's great, hilarious. He's a he does stand up, right? He doesn't. He's just kind of a comedic actor. Okay, comedic actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I just found him so mm-hmm. <laughs> stunningly humorous, so that, engaging. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. But did that leave you wanting to make another movie? Because this was what this is. Uh, two, so I think we shot that in 2011, 2011 like beginning of yeah. 2011, and then we had to keep shooting because we were missing some stuff. Yeah, there yeah. were like some parts we didn't have cast and some locations we couldn't find. Mm-hmm. So it was like we shot for two weeks, and then I was producing with one of the producers on that movie, yeah. Kelly Williams. We were producing my friend Mark Potts and Cole Selix's movie Cinema 6. Oh, yeah, Cinema 6. So I had like two weeks off mm-hmm. basically at the beginning of the year where I was like, why don't we shoot a movie? In these two weeks for free, and then we'll go do this other movie. Right. We found a way to make it all kind of piece it together. So again, yeah, right? Totally. It's just like a buffet of, of stuff where you're just working. You have two weeks here, mm-hmm. fill it up with some work. I mean, it's a really. Totally. It seems like it'd be really, really challenging to have those different kinds of tempos you're working in and out of, you know? It especially is. if you want something that's really consistent. It is, but it's also good to sort of keep it keep it, keep it, keep it jumping. Yeah, and keep because yeah. you have to be engaged with things. Then, yeah, you know they're not all the same. No, it's true. You got to be on, right? Got to keep thinking. Mm-hmm. Have you started work on your second feature yet? I have. It's hard though. You know, it's it's also hard to find time, right? To put time away for because you work in movies, mm-hmm. 
or you know, I sorry, I work in movies. But right. when you do that, it's the last thing you want to do is then go. I, it's like the the quandary for porn stars that I've always. I can only imagine, <laughs> and I'm not the first one to think of this, but it's like right. when they go home, right? Do they really want to just have more sex, or do they right. want to talk about? the right. new Listen the Martian and, or something yeah, yeah, right exactly. you know, do, right right you want to make it easier because right. it's like they're doing it all day because sometimes i don't even want to watch a movie when i get home let yeah. alone like think about one. crafting one. you yeah. know um and i think editing and writing are pretty related mm-hmm. so even if i'm like editing a commercial it's still the same. it's using up that part of my brain sure. that would then be used writing a script your wiener brain right if you were in porn yes <laughs> the, the wiener energy <laughs> if you will <laughs> so i you know i i feel like you got you did the first uh, two, 2012 I think is mm-hmm. when, it, when it premiered at Awesome Film Festival and then Sundance of that following year or was it the same year? So it would have been that played I think October 2012 and then Pit Stop which I edited yeah. the fans movie played Sundance 2013 2013 in January. And that was I think I hope a, a really big milestone for you to be at Sundance. Yeah. Repping was, was it two movies you'd worked on? I was there on? with the one and then at South by so two months the after that I was there with two. Okay. Yeah, the Love and Air Sex was the name of that Prime Oh, Poison right, movie. right, right. Okay. So I had two features there, which was like great. Um so yeah, and that that's what did that, that feel like a, that felt good? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was is like that a, better than the what what might have been a, a lesser lesser milestone like doing something in Austin because you talk about you know Academy Award obviously is a big milestone but Sundance has to be really up there yeah it is but it's also too when those things happen they're sort of so everything's real right you know when it happens it's just a real thing yeah so it's like oh this movie got a Sundance oh that's great do you want to go oh I don't know how much is it to go exactly (laughs) do I have this much money you know do I have to fly coach right and then I have to buy like a bunch of sweaters and scarves and yeah all this stuff and you know and then okay we'll go up there oh well who you're riding with and oh, i'm at the area where are you guys can i get the key you know mm-hmm. and so yeah. when things are never as good in real life as they are in the movies they, they aren't so which is ironic since you make movies you figure you could make your life as exciting as a movie with your editing ability great if movies were just long and boring and <laughs> Like well, largely uneventful. Antonioni movies are large and boring. <laughs> Three hours it's worth, true. usually. It's true. I, and I suppose maybe some people would feel that they're insightful, but I yeah, can't. I can't I mean, watch uh, most of that stuff. It's yeah. just it's so boring. Yeah. Um, Lanata is that the one I'm thinking? Oh, uh, Laventura is the the main okay, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to take that. Anyway, but yeah, three hours. Somebody disappears in the middle of the movie. No one ever explains it. You're like. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Kind of what happens. Yeah. Kind of how life is. That's how life is. is. Yeah. No one, no one uh, mourns. <laughs> no one mourns. But so the editing piece has taken you a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. You worked with, I I just, I'm a, regrettably lump all these projects into mm-hmm. the, the really vast, morbidly obese people projects. Right. <laughs> Which there's like three different varieties of these shows, yes. right? But the, but there's a lot of those <laughs> yes. freaking projects. Well, no, and and it's it's cool cuz like even working on like you know reality shows and stuff is it's still like that uh cuz editing is like problem solving. Yeah, right. And right. so it's you're still doing that even if the thing you're making isn't really worth doing that for. Well, isn't something that you're going to be like, "Oh, this is my art." You're right. still like in the moment, you're still using that artistic part of your brain. Yeah. You know, except then at the end of the day, you can like afford rent. That's right. As compared to 
being poor because you worked on an indie movie. <laughs> yeah. And then two, the thing is, you know, if you do something that's on TV, people mm-hmm. see it. Sure. They people, see your name. People watch it. Right. Right. I mean, and it's not even that they see your name, but you can just see when a show is on, you can like look at the hashtag on Twitter and see right. people reacting to something you made by the hundreds. Yeah. How which, do you feel about that? Because you worked on the one of the first, actually the first CNN uh, docudrama, right? Is that a yeah. good word for it? Uh, yeah, I think docudrama is what they called it, High Profits, about yeah. uh, a recreational marijuana shop in Colorado. And that was great, watching yeah. people engage with it. And then there was like a marathon they did mm-hmm. last week. Okay. And seeing, and so just, you know, on Twitter, you just type Again, in hashtag, you just the... see people, like new people sort of, what am I watching? What is this? Yeah. And sort of getting into it again. Yeah. How was that project? Did you enjoy working? It was on great. It? Yeah. 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 You, you great. were telling me that it had this really interesting narrative and a sense of tension that other, it other projects like that don't have. It was an amazing story they found. Yeah. Like, I think, because, you know, in one way, it could have just been like, it's a weed job. Right. But Which isn't it was, enough. No, but it, but it also, you know, it's for like a lot of TV, people don't really need much. It's true. Right? Like a lot of TV no, shows are fair. just kind of filler. And so, but there is a, there was actually like we fell into sort of a great story. Yeah. Which made it way more fun to do. And guys, it was actually happening. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. It's really people's lives. Are you guys going to, I don't know if you can announce it. Are you doing season two? I don't know. No one knows. I don't yet. know what's going on. Yeah. Well, in the so, meantime. Yeah. So I just, you know, that's kind of the weird thing about freelancing is you just kind of get. You're just like, just okay. in the lurch, right? Yeah. What's whatever, going on whatever. now? What are you doing next week? I don't know. What's <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, there's one thing that that I want to talk mm-hmm. about. We'll talk about in a second, but I'm really interested. You know, one of the things I like always talking to you about it because to your point, editing is problem solving. Mm-hmm. And if you watch a lot of movies and you pay attention, you've essentially been studying problem solving. Right. Right. So, for example, I saw. I'm trying to. This, sh- this should be spoiler free. Nah, maybe not. Ah, fuck it. I don't care. So I saw Crimson Peak. Okay. The new Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro movie, and it's a good horror movie. Okay. It's it's good. Okay. Devil's Backbone's excellent. Okay. Crimson Peak is good. Okay. And I realized that I can now articulate why I don't like it or why I think it was lacking, and that is because. You know, you go through watching these movies all the time and you see these same mistakes. You're like, well, mm-hmm. they didn't develop this or this. They're not tying this to this. Mm-hmm. There's this, all these people that died and it's like in vain. Like, why would you let that happen? But what, what, ultimately, when we can sit down, we can talk about editing. And I, you were saying, and I think you can talk about these projects. I hope you can. But there was one about two lame brain brothers that tried or friends that abducted a serial killer. Right, right. Yeah. And so is that we got to talk about like why that wasn't working, but ultimately did. Right. Well, yeah, but it's all, it's, 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 you know, and the weird thing is cause editing is the invisible art. Yes. Right. And I don't normally notice it in a movie unless they're doing something sort of a rhythmic or mm-hmm. flashy or different. Mm-hmm. You tend to not notice it, mm. um, which is, means it's working. Right, um, that it's just subconscious in a sense. That... But it kind of comes down to that, like everything, when you edit a movie, everything, um, you know, everything serves needs to serve a purpose. Sure. So it's like, what are you seeing at this moment? Yeah. Why are you seeing it? How long are you seeing it? Mm-hmm. What's happening when you're seeing it? Absolutely. When do you see it? Right. Do you see the guy look shifty before they open the box? 
<laughs> you know, or do we not see that and we see the other guy looking in anticipation of before they right. or do we see both of them? You know, and so um yeah, so it's really odd on a project cuz you can just sort of go, well, maybe we can show this guy's face a little longer. Right. And even a couple seconds make all the difference, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's just fun talking about that. Right. Like to uh, to summarize why it's fun. Mm-hmm. So we some of the projects it's working on mm-hmm. just like some of them are about lame brain anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. Some of them are is about revenge mm-hmm. and serial killers and killing and blood. Mm-hmm. Some of it's about vampires or zombies mm-hmm. and pot that are in pot induced <laughs> zombies. I mean, these are great topics. These right. are really, yeah. really right. wonderful topics so to bring it back to booze just a moment Mm -hmm. because your glass happens (laughs) to be empty which is i want to make sure you have the opportunity to refill it so we picked a rye every time i sit down and chat we pick a bottle that we're not getting tanked here (laughs) we're just sipping it slowly right as we kind of develop this conversation but we picked a rye and this is a pike's full rye i didn't realize it came out i didn't realize it was limited but heaven hill is making a straight rye that is no less than six years old. And this is at 110 proof, and it is just delicious. What do you think about the? It's great. It's good, right? Yeah. Really nice depth to it. It's probably one of the best rides I've had, and I mm-hmm. had no idea Heaven Hill was putting it out. Why Why rye, Don? <laughs> you know what? I think it's because I um, I used a bunch of rye because I went to a like kind of a potluck uh-huh. party, like a sure. fall party. Oh, fall, yeah, yeah. And I didn't cook anything because I don't cook. Mm-hmm. But so what I did is I just, they said bring something autumnal. Uh, oh, sure. Right? Love that word. Second time I've heard it in two days. I think it might have been mine, not theirs. But <laughs> um, so I basically just made like an apple cider, like oh, apple cider yeah. and some cinnamon and cinnamon sticks in there and then some rye yeah. to sort of like give it like a spice, like yeah, a lot it's of rye, perfect. you know, and how did it turn out? It turned out well. Yeah. Yeah, and then we served it cold because it's Texas. Sure. So it's autumn, but it's still like It's still degrees. like spring everywhere else. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Wh- wh- whiskey is, is a go-to for you, it mm-hmm. seems like. What is it just... I I think there's something romantic about whiskey, especially mm-hmm. in the creation process, more than, let's say, drinking. And I love martinis. I, I right. think martinis are the social drink. You talk about the projects over a martini, mm-hmm. but when you're engaged and you're immersed in the material, you're drinking whiskey. You know, there is a weird thing, too, about the martini glass mm. that I feel like if I was just at a bar with some guys after work. Mm-hmm. It's a two. You know, and yeah, I feel like or? somebody could order like uh, beers and somebody can get like whiskey and you mm-hmm. have a little glass and you get like an old fashioned even with like sure. a ice cube. Like the martini glass is such a. Is it? Is it? Like <laughs> Lottie Dobb. What are you doing? You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's like showy. a cartoon or yes. something. <laughs> You know, like, I feel like if you did that with coworkers, they'd be like, you're making more than us, (laughs) you know, like, and even though like, it's not like, it's not like it's It's that much more work than like an old fashioned. Yeah, it's exactly this. But if a dude sat down with an old fashioned or a dude sat down with a martini glass, yeah, like what? What? And that's why like if you, sometimes you'll get something and it's like more of a Manhattan than an old fashioned. Mm -hmm. So they'll bring it to you in a martini glass. Yeah. It's like, damn it. (laughs) I'm trying to be a man of the people here. What what are you doing to (laughs) me? What are you doing to me? So it's you talk about a terminal. Is it mm-hmm. a terminal or autumnal or what? A, how the hell do you say that? A terminal. A terminal. It sounds like a stutter of some it sort. It does. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They're playing Psych Fest this year. Autumnal. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're playing an album that they released in the the mid seventies. Yeah, it's one song. One song long, but it's still a sixty minutes. minute. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so how do you you excited about Hateful Eight? 
I am. The whole uh, Panavision, is that right? Or Panoscope? Right. The trailer didn't like blow my socks off. I think it's intentionally underwhelming, actually. Yeah. He did that with Django, too. I remember right. I was like, uh... Because the Inglorious Bastards trailer was great. Yes. Um, he went balls to the wall with that. But I also think the movie's probably going to be smaller. You think so? Because it's all a single room. Like in a, yeah. I mean, Reservoir right? Dogs is a single room. Right. So well, it could be like a smaller kind of you think thing. Yeah. What do you think about Kurt? I mean, Kurt Russell's great. He's yeah, that's amazing. He was really good in even like the last uh, Fast and the Furious. Oh, I still need to see it. But the and only him, one him keeping uh, punch. He keeps uh, pushing craft beer. Is that right? He's pushing like Belgian beer. I think. <laughs> like and it's an awkward. And it's really odd. Well, but the thing about the movie that's weird is that like there's clearly Corona product placement. Uh huh. And so, but then they have this character who's obsessed with something that isn't Corona. Interesting. And so he keep, but he can't. He doesn't use any names. He just talks about. He just talks about Belgian beer and like (laughs) like no one ever would. Right. Because that's like a very specific vague thing to recommend to someone. (laughs) And then like he, you know, he offers some to Vin Diesel. Did he drink like, it? No. And then they're like, oh, right, we heard about you. And then he pulls out like a bucket with a Corona logo oh, on it. Oh, <laughs> God. Because Vin Diesel's too good. Because Vin too... Diesel drinks Corona. Of course so he cool. does. Of course. Of course he drinks it. I don't know. I think it'll be good. And it'd be a fun th- to see in the theater, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I like his movies, I have to say. Yeah, I still you like know? it. I still like it. I still like it. I think he's, I mean, he's interesting. It's yeah. like you can just visit. This weird little world. Multi-genre, single... No one can pull that off in a single movie, I don't I think. I will say, though, I do like that he's doing period pieces more. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. the characters can't talk about movies all the time. That's good. I think that's like a positive. Or Madonna. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. it's not like the pop culture dialogue. Yeah. He's really interested in building uh, characters, it seems like. But but removed yeah. just... a. With pure psychological tendencies mm-hmm. instead of like pop culture sensibilities, right, right. you know. Yeah, it's a good point. It's definitely a good point. Well, I think the best thing, like, you talk about having worked your way through college. You worked on some mm-hmm. cool stuff. You worked on some editing projects. You got to do Sundance. Your movie premiered at Austin Film Festival. But as a return to the roots, kind of. Mm-hmm. Last time we chatted, the it's it's funny. It's like the 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 mystery story that you would only read about that you never think would happen like people like this guy just bought a picture of two guys playing croquet he bought it for two dollars i don't know if you heard about this mm-hmm. so i think they, the this person bought it secondhand at some yard sale or something in california two dudes old old picture two guys playing croquet 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 whatever the hell it is and turns out one of them's billy the kid in a picture and it's the only known picture and there's wow. only about two or three pictures of Billy the Kid in the first place. The photo is valued at $5 million. Like, is that fucking insane? That's insane. But it's so cool to see, like, there's a picture of Billy the Kid. There's the guy that found the Alfred Hitchcock silent films. There's right, a right. La- La- long lost uh, Charlie Chaplin film that was just found. Mm-hmm. Like, all those kinds of things. So you talk about this concept of finding a film. Mm-hmm. And you never think that you're going to find a film in the trunk of a car. <laughs> so I think you know where I'm going with it, mm-hmm. right? And that's still a full, full swing, right? You guys still working on it? I think so. I, I haven't started yet, but yeah. But it's... conceptually, tell me about what is essentially the truest and one of the most rare found films that you're going to be working on. 
Well, so it's a guy, uh, James Bryan, yeah. who did a movie called Don't Go in the Woods, mm-hmm. another movie called Lady Street Fighter, and then uh, this company, Bleeding Skull Video, here in Austin, put mm-hmm. out um, a movie of his that I think someone found in the trunk of a car yeah. called Run, Coyote, Run. And then when they were working on the rights for that, they found out he shot another movie called Jungle Trap Right. that um, did not... That he's never got finished. Right, like incomplete. Uh, that he shot in 1989, I think. To, to frame it a little bit, Run, mm-hmm. Coyote, Run, which I was privileged enough to see at the mm-hmm. Draft House, is a nice intermix of an old movie and new VHS kind of spliced I think it's a few together. old movies. Yeah. Um, sort of using that, reusing... In a different recycle, context. Reappropriating. Sure. What reappropriating. Do we call it now? Remixing. Yeah. yeah. Girl remixing. talking. Yeah. <laughs> some old movies and some uh, new shot on VHS footage for like, because the VHS market for a while was like a huge oh, thing. Huge, huge. So, um, so literally any movie, if you put it out on VHS, was, yeah. People would rent it, they thought. Sure. Well, until then they've realized that they wouldn't. Yes. And then we're here where we are today. But, um, so yeah, so but then his next movie. He never finished, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna work on that. And it's ultimately um, about a, a hotel in the jungle. It's Is sort that right? of like, um, yeah, it's, Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> it's kind of like a cross between Fitzcarraldo and Two Thousand Maniacs, <laughs> um, where it's you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm not totally up to date on what they did on the Kickstarter, so I don't want to give yeah. away too much. Sure, but, um, yeah, but it's sort of like a haunted, haunted mystery hotel, a ghost right. hotel, maybe. And so you guys are going to shoot more for it? No, no, no we're just, just going to um, just going to piece together what what was shot. Yeah. Then, but um, you know, new music, right? With all vintage. I've, oh, I'm sure they wouldn't have it equipment. any, any um, other way. And uh, yeah, and, you know, try to use period sound effects. Yeah. All that stuff. Taking it back to '89. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing project. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. It's pretty fun to work on something like that. It is a challenge, too, though, because you don't want to edit it ironically. Like right. You don't want to Tim and Eric it. Yeah. You know? Then it's up, it becomes too uh, arcane. You want right. people to be able to enjoy it. Right. And be in on the joke if there is yeah. a joke. No, exactly. Or just sort of like enjoy it the way they should, yeah. the way they would have had it been finished then and right. people discovered it now. It's, so, it's such a... Man, it's such a, a crazy story, though, to think that there's a, a movie and you're making a movie in a car that was unfinished. And you as an editor mm-hmm. ultimately have to make that make sense. Well, it's also it's cool that it's sort of a collaboration over time. Yeah. In a weird way. You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like when. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like somebody doing a duet with another singer. Or something. Oh, is it like the it's Natalie like, Cole right, thing yes. with her father? As or a, like Tupac rapping with somebody. As a hologram. Eminem now or something. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Or those Pepsi commercials. Remember <laughs> that? Humphrey Bogart as a, as a hologram. Oh, right. Drinking, uh, or the Tales from the Crypt episode, remember? Where which one? Humphrey Bogart. <gasps> oh, that's with right. With John Lithgow and uh, Isabella Rossellini. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So you guys have any idea when it'll hit the shelves um, or hit the screens? I think it'll be next year. Next year, yeah, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah. In the meantime, anything else that's really um, I got some you... indie stuff, and yeah. then I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, I think I need to work a little bit. Do you, you getting so... you getting your brain getting rusty or no? <clears throat> I think my brain's whoa. Uh, I think my brain's. <laughs> I coughed into the mic and then I talked in the corner. <laughs> it's bouncing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think uh, 
I'm not totally sure. I think I might make a short film. Yeah. I wrote a short comedy uh, that I might try to shoot. It's kind of like a movie about... Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard to discuss your art sometimes. Figuring huh? out, yeah, like figuring out who you are. Right. But it ends with like really, really prolonged stabbing. That sounds fair. But a consensual stabbing. Really? Which I don't think I've ever seen before. I don't know that that terms existed. There's the guy that <laughs> there's the guy that wants to be eaten, and that mm-hmm. it that the guy that wants to eat somebody. Right. But imagine if both of those guys just wanted to eat each other. <laughs> Which I think you would. I think the guy who, in a weird way, I think the guy who wants to be eaten mm-hmm. is scarier to me. That's a bit scary, yeah. Like, I think, like, the guy who wants to eat somebody, it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not That's saying a little I'm not bit say more I get common. It, but, yeah. you know. There's not a serial killer that has pieces of his leg missing because he's somehow managed to court people. He wants other people to, eat, to him. eat him. That's, right? That's stranger. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely. I mean, because, like, wanting to eat somebody, oh, that's like a serial killer. Thing. Sure, I've heard of that. But wanting somebody else to eat you is like a weird Like, what's passive? in it for you? Yeah. Yeah, why would you, did you uh, eat a bunch of peyote and like, right. you want to see the effects of somebody? Yeah, eating? exactly. It's very strange. Yeah. I'd but a be... mutual stabbing is... Uh... Yeah, Cons- I mean, well, consensual, not mutual. Oh, I'm sorry, not mutual. It's uh, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It's okay. it's you know. Okay, for sorry, for for a moment, I was picturing two people like, all right, we're gonna do this, like, right, uh, one, two, three. No, no, no. Just That's, each other. yeah. I think that would maybe. I've probably seen that before. Maybe have you? Maybe. Yeah, I've seen true. a lot of movies. Yeah, that's true. Where people have stabbed each other. I've seen at least maybe unconsensual mutual stabbings. I think I'm sure somewhere in like Lone Wolf and Cub, there's like <laughs> two dudes stabbing each other at the synchronized at the same somehow, time, right? you know, and then geysers of blood, and then they drop, mm-hmm. and then it's a beautiful ending. Both their heads fall off, yeah. or something like a Mortal Kombat fatality. Right. Although they borrowed it, for obviously, from all the mm-hmm. Japanese films. Well, I feel like that's a really beautiful and poetic way to go out. <laughs> so, so you know, it's going to be cool seeing the new projects that you're working on that come through the pipeline. It's going to be cool to hear about what other stuff you're watching for Halloween and keep drinking the whiskey, man, and keep working hard. It's as I'm very proud of you to see the things you've managed to accomplish when other people, when you were thinking about giving up, they just fucking gave up. So <laughs> don't ever question. Just keep going. Thanks, thanks for man. chatting with me. Don. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. All right. A true testament to hard work, tenacity, ambivalence, <laughs> I've known Don a long time and it was great to finally get to chat to him in kind of an an official way, talk about Halloween, which is today, so it's aptly timed. But thanks again for listening and keep dancing. 